podcasts unfiltered. And I was 24 years old when I first uh, played in the Olympics. Yeah. We got to Athens, Greece. And then for the opening ceremony, I was like, this is incredible. Welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. I am loving the leopard today, Vanessa. (laughs) Thank you. You know, I mean... We're talking to someone, uh, spent some time in Miami. I was kind of feeling the vibe. So, you know, I thought it was the right day. <laughs> I think it was a great call. Um, very fashionable. And he also has like quite the fashion sense. So Amari Stoudemire, uh, six foot 10, 245 pounds, former NBA all-star, played for the New York Knicks, the Mavericks, the Heat, the Phoenix Suns. And uh, now he's taken up residence in Brooklyn, where he's working with the team in a different capacity as the player development assistant for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, And also a vintner. Um, There's a lot of and also's that I think we're going to be talking about on this podcast. (laughs) And most notably of which, and I I will ask this because this is one of the more famous wine-related things he's done. He's notorious for taking baths in wine. Have you ever heard of this? Okay. I saw an Instagram photo. Get out of here. <laughs> but yes, but I, I also have a million questions, but I feel like you, you're you going to have that part covered. I'm, I'm going to leave that to you. Um, lots to cover. And also, since he's a wine guy, it made our wine selections really interesting today. He's also someone that has residency and Israel is making Israeli wine. Um, and so I thought this was a really inspired choice on your part, Vanessa. Well, thank you. I always try to to pick thoughtfully. But as you know, as we talked about, there's always a little bit of selfishness involved here since we also get to enjoy the wines with our guests. But yeah, I think... Um, we have, um, you know, one of my favorite red wine producing uh, regions in the world and one of my favorite producers. And then someone who's, yeah, I think near and dear to our hearts, but who has a sort of unique connection to Amari, which will be really fun to talk about. Yeah, I think Amari is going to be jazzed to learn about this producer if he doesn't know him already. And also probably jazzed to learn about one of the more classic producers. So naturally, I love that your mind went to Syrah and in particular, a classic region and classic producer. Yes. If I would say for Syrah, probably the classic producer. Yeah. Well, I'm sure many of you are trying to guess what that is. If you don't know it, you're going to learn it soon. Without any further ado, please welcome to the show Amari Stardemeyer and let's drink. Hello, sir. How are you? What's happening? How are you doing? I am so good. I have two wines in front of me. Hopefully you do too, right? I do. Looks good. Did you dive into them? I gave a, I gave a little uh, little little taste. Yeah? <laughs> there were headlines made because you used to immerse yourself in wine. <laughs> I happen to have seen a photo evidence of this. Yes. I have so many questions because <laughs> I do an Instagram deep dive every time we, you know, somebody's got an Instagram. I went to go back to look for the photo and it's gone. So what happened to it? Did you delete it? Yeah, I try to refresh my photos every now and then. I try to go back through them. Why and... did you delete it? <laughs> but yeah, the wine bath was amazing. <laughs> You know, it's like a massive bathtub with, that sits about four people, if you like, and it's like water and wine. It's about 95 to 100 degrees. They bring you nice ice water and a glass of wine on the side. Listen to a nice Sade or whatever you want to listen to and relax. It's amazing. All right. Walk me through the first time someone told you about this. Were you like, hell yes? Or were you like, mm, I'm not really sure? I was like, what is this? I'm not. Def- I'm definitely <laughs> not doing a wine bath. Um but I said, you know what? Why not? I'll try something new. And so I got it. So when I, once I sat and relaxed in there, I was like calm and relaxed. It's like, you know, hot, it's like a hot tub, but full of wine. And it was great. <laughs> and so this was something you were doing 
while you were playing. Oh yeah, this is this is this is a normal this is a normal routine. So yeah, so when I was playing with the New York Knicks, I was uh, always taking these wine baths. Um, the one time I took the photo, it became viral, but I was going back there at least once or twice uh, a month. I don't know why Napa Valley has not figured this out. This happened like five years ago. How is this not existing at Auberge? You literally took the words from my mouth. How does how is this not happening? I think it is happening. It's just mostly by accident. Like people are just like enjoying <laughs> wine by the bath and <laughs> just makes it swing in somehow. It's a lot cheaper that way, but probably not quite as fancy. Yeah. Awesome. I'll let Vanessa sort of dive into the wines because these were more your picks than mine. Okay. As you know, Amanda, um, some of these picks are always a little bit selfish. <laughs> All of the picks are always very selfish. Okay. Let's clear that up right now. <laughs> so no, of course, we we choose the wines according to our guest. And um, Laura Coffer, who's amazing, she does a you know, intake call to get to know you. Um, and Amari, basically, she she talked to you. She thought that you might enjoy this, um, the Gigal, so the Chateau d'Ampuy. Um, which is a coat roti from the Northern Rhone. Um, sort of based on kind of what I, I think you like to eat lamb, she mentioned. Um, but sort yeah, of, I'm a steak guy. I mean, I, you know, steaks and red meat for sure. Yeah. I happen to love the Northern Rhone. So this is Syrah. It has 7% of a white grape called Viognier. But for all intents and purposes, it's this is, you know, um, Syrah. And it's one of those wines that a lot of times I find people will describe what they like in a red wine and then order Cabernet. And I'm like, but everything you said just describes Syrah. Like, let's try Syrah instead. So this is one of the most kind of pivotal, iconic, influential winemakers in the world. Well-respected over generations. So, you know, the father, Etienne, started it. Um, his son, Marcel, took over. Just incredible, incredible attention to detail. Anyway, you can probably tell I'm excited about this wine since I can't stop talking about it. I'd also like to add that it tastes like steak, which is always my favorite kind of wine when it tastes like food because it's like getting a meal and a wine in one glass. So um, I don't know if you've taken a sip of it yet, but, you know, by all means. Yeah, you know it. what? I, I, gave it, I gave it a sip. I think it's um, full body type of, uh, type of taste. I, I love the label. Right. It's like timeless. And you're a fashion guy. So I feel like, you know, you've got an, a great eye for aesthetics. So how much does a label play into your wine selections? You know what? When you see a label that's that's timeless, then that goes to show that the people that made the wine uh, put a lot of effort into it. And, they, and I'm sure they're very well versed in that space. Um, so that's definitely one of one of the intriguing points. I look at the year and then the region. Uh, but, yeah, for sure, the label, the label plays a big part of it. And then the other wine that we have is the Lapel, which is from Mayan Kajitsky. Have you encountered Mayan at all in the wine world? Uh, he's born and born and raised in Israel as a winemaker here in, in Napa Valley. I'm, I'm really uh, intrigued by this. And this is his wine that he does in collaboration with Pete Richmond and uh, Miguel Luna. We thought it would be fun to um, speak to some of the, the things that you're doing in Israel, uh, especially with your wines, but also because you've got residents in Israel uh, and play basketball in Israel uh, to bring in an is Israeli-made wine. So this is Lapel 2018 Cabernet Sauvignon. I actually haven't even had this, but this is a relatively new project uh, from these three guys that are just standout, standout producers. Wow. I was just going to say, uh, Mayan, aside from being just an amazingly cool guy, he smokes his own meats. He has a black belt in judo. And he happens to be this just incredible winemaker who um, came over to Napa to study or to California to study at UC Davis and then got an internship at 
the winery Screaming Eagle, which for any sort of cult wine fans out there, it's it's kind of top of the pyramid in terms of cultiness, uh, at least in terms of Napa Valley. So pretty amazing resume. But as I mentioned, just like the most awesome, down-to-earth, humble guy. And I think it really shows in his winemaking, too. It is. It's nice. I want to back up because wine did not enter your life, I think, until maybe a little bit later. So let's start with how and when it happened. What was your your moment where wine became a, a part of your journey? Well, for me, wine was an acquiring taste, you know, so it took a while to, to develop that palate. Not until I was about 25, maybe, when I started really, really enjoying wine. Um, I started learning more about it. I traveled the world tasting wine. Uh, so my chef and I would travel. We'd do you know, food pairing. we go to the food and wine festivals. And I was starting to get more engulfed in that space. And so uh, I think more so like in my later 20s, I started really, really enjoying wine more and more. And that led me to then now creating my own particular brand of wines. But yeah, I would say like my late 20s is when I started to really get involved. Did, was there someone that was instrumental in that? Or was it, I mean, you mentioned your chef. Was your chef really into it? Or were there like, you know, player, I mean, NBA is obviously notorious now for being very into wine. But Yeah, no, my chef was the cooking guy. Like he had all the, he had the recipes and all the meals. Uh, the wine was something I was starting to get into on my end. So yeah, I mean, it was basically just kind of my, you know, intention to want to get involved in wine. And that's how it started. It's funny, Vanessa and I always talk about the Epiphany bottle, which neither of us really had. Was there a particular wine that was momentous for you that you remember? Yeah, you know what? It was a California wine, actually. I was um, I was out at dinner once, and I think it was one of my one of my close friends was like, "Hey, just try this, try this wine." It was called Camus. Yeah. And so when I when I tried the Camus wine, I'm like, this is a really good taste. Yeah. That's when I was like, you know what? This is not a bad space to be in. It's luxury, it's classy, it's a cool vibe. So I was always, you know, appreciative of that. How did you dive deeper into that rabbit hole? I mean, you started with Camus and then, you know, you're traveling, going to dinners. Was there was there a class that you took? Did you talk to some people? I mean, we've had Nomar Garcia Parra on here and he was somebody that befriended sommeliers to, and, and winemakers to get into it. Yeah, you know, I traveled to France. Uh, I traveled to Bordeaux. Well, that's nice. I stayed at the Chanel Chateau. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I, I I was like engulfed around vineyards the entire time, and so I took tours to all the vineyards. I met with the uh, uh, with winemakers and the sommeliers, and we just went over everything. And you know, as far as the different terrain that produced different types of grapes, and and this is all before I became a winemaker myself. Um, so that is what intrigued me the most about it, like really being able to learn about it first and understand the, and appreciate what it takes to make the wine. And it makes you it makes you appreciate the winemakers and everyone that works in the vineyards uh, to produce these great these great grapes, these juices that are that are amazing to drink. So there's a there's a kind of a big leap from being an appreciator, a consumer of wine, or even someone who's learning about it to actually wanting to to make wine and be a vintner. So was how did you decide to do that? And um, like what was sort of the the hardest step to get started? Well, I think for me, I was um, I was having these these parties in my penthouse in New York, in Manhattan, and so a buddy of mine who was providing the the wine and and the booze, he was like, "Amari, man, I keep hearing about you traveling the world and tasting these wines, and you at these food and wine festivals, you and your chef, and you guys are enjoying the space. You should maybe you know produce your own wine." I was like, "Okay, I mean, it's not a bad idea. I didn't think it was possible. I, I didn't really give that too much thought." Uh, but then I met I met some good folks out of Israel um, who had a, who had a vineyard called Tulip Wineries out in out in Israel. I met with them, and then I created the brand. 
you know, um, I taste the juices. Uh, it took me maybe seven months to, to find, to create the label, the label that's timeless. And I wanted to, I wanted to, to, to create something that's, uh, that can hold on to, to the family name, uh, for my children. So I, I really, I really was like focusing on really creating something special and also bringing kind of a pop culture space to the kosher wine area. Kosher wines never really got like a big, uh, you know, uh, a following. Some people say it don't taste great, what have you. So I want to change that paradigm and make it where, you know, pop culture can also enjoy uh, some good wine. I appreciate that. I get questions all the time. You know, where can we find good kosher wine? And they are few and far between. There's just a handful of producers that I know of. Uh, and now, you know, obviously Stoudemire being one of them. Well, and actually, I, I had a question along those lines. Sure. So um, I know there's sort of two two types of kosher wines, right? Essentially the uh, Mevishal and non-Mevishal. Um, and your wines are Mevishal. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So, okay. yeah. So all the wines are Mevishal. Only because it's able, you're able to drink those uh, during Passover. So it's like a special, it's a lot of detail that go in, in, into it. But uh, uh, long story short, it's, it, you know, I wanted to make sure that people don't get too caught up in that space where they can still enjoy good wine without being, you know, worrying about whether it's kosher or not. The wines that are coming out of Paso, are they kosher as well? Or is it just the ones coming out of Israel? Yeah, all of them are. The ones the ones that are in Israel and the new the new bottle just released, Origin, is also from California is also Mavushu and kosher. So is that mostly what you're drinking at home now, or do you still kind of keep it diverse? Oh, I keep it diverse. I keep it diverse, you know. So uh, yeah. whenever I can, I do have friends over. I, I pull out the start of my wine just to give them a taste of the wine, but uh, but I do keep it pretty diverse. Do you ever blind them on your wine? I should do that. It's a good idea. <laughs> I, have, I, haven't try, I, haven't try, I haven't tried that yet, but I got to definitely give that a shot for sure. I want to see it on the gram if you do it. <laughs> I got you. you. You have residency there in Israel now, correct? Correct. And how did that happen? It happened actually spontaneously. It was never a part of the plan. I was there playing basketball. I played four years overseas in Israel, um, which we also played in the Euro Cup and the Euro League. Uh, and we traveled around Europe all the time, but it was more so just uh, me being somewhat of an advocate of showing uh, the you know the top chefs or the, you know places to visit, and I think that the state of Israel wanted me to 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 you know continue to be involved until they granted me citizenship of the country. Well, that was nice of them. So, how much time do you spend there now? So I'm there. I'm there. Maybe half the year. I've been back now in the states for about three months now. Um, so I was there for ten months last year, and so I'm here now working obviously with the Brooklyn Nets. And then I, I may go back over for visitation on uh, the summer. I, I actually had a question just to go back to to playing. I mean, um, playing for the Olympic Games. How is that different, if at all, in terms of like your mindset going in and the entire experience? Yeah, yeah. The Olympics is a total different, total different scenario because you know you, you're playing, you're representing your country, and you also, you know, are preparing yourself to play against the world's best the training that goes into it, the preparation that it takes, and then also being able to now properly give yourself the right nutrition to, to replenish your body, weight training. And then once you get to the Olympic tryouts, you know, this the cameras everywhere, people you haven't seen before, like, what is this? And I was 24 years old when I first uh, played in the Olympics. Yeah. And then you travel the world for exhibition games. And then we got to Athens, Greece. And then for the opening ceremony, I was like, this is incredible. Wow. I'm seeing like all the world's best athletes. I can't even imagine what, I mean, I am not an athlete, but I can't even imagine like the Olympics, 
there's like there's cool things and then there's the Olympics. And I have never watched an Olympics without crying. At every every podium, every ceremony, I'm in tears. Cause it's like, you know, it's 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 a it's momentous not just for the athletes, but for the world. You know, it's one of those things that we all sort of look forward to. And I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to you know, the, the, uh, delayed one from this summer, but I can't imagine like what would be going through your mind. Were you able to take it all in, you know, in while you were there to like, or did it not hit you until after? I took it all in. I mean, I was just walking yeah. slow and just looking at everything and everybody. I'm like, this is this. And the, and the beautiful thing about it was you're right. I went to see other athletes perform. So I went to, I went to the swimming event and saw Michael Phelps receive his gold medals. Oh, cool. Uh, I went, I went to the gymnastics and saw, you know, Saw those girls like taking over the entire world with their acrobatics. I mean, it was it, it, it was brilliant. I have goosebumps just thinking about that. That's so cool. I do too. I do too. If, so if there was one other sport that you could play good enough that you could actually be an Olympian, what would it be? And don't say football because I know you're excel, excelled at football. Although I don't think that's an Olympic sport. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think if I had to choose a sport to be an Olympian at... Any particular... It will be probably track and field, and the reason why I say the reason why I say that only because or snowboarding. I mean, it's Winter Olympics, but <laughs> I love snowboarding. Um, but I, I think I think the reason why because it draws a lot of attraction. Yeah. A lot of people go, and that's like the main event. Like I know Usain Bolt was like a major attraction there uh, at the Olympics. So you mean because like people actually watch it. Right, exactly. Like everyone goes yeah. there to watch the event. <laughs> you don't want to go for the uh, what's the what's the winter one that the Canadians all do? Oh, with the That's ice, called? you got to you got to scrape off the ice. <laughs> <laughs> if I chose the winter Olympic sport, I'm for sure snowboarding. Sean White, me and you, baby. Yeah, uh, you're on your own there. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, Vanessa, you're not coming. Just me. She stands alone. Yeah. No. What does one drink to celebrate after the Olympics? Oh, I mean, we. I mean, listen, we had we was celebrating big time. AI. Um, <laughs> funny story. I mean, I, I I was drinking like whiskey, and then Alan Iverson passing out tequila shots. I'm like, wait, am I allowed to mix? Am I allowed to mix drinks? <laughs> <laughs> So it was it was a big celebration. I mean, we all was enjoying it. We all came off with like an Olympic medal, um, and it was the last night there. Um, so it was it was def- it was definitely a celebratory moment. But I think for us, we, I was drinking whiskey afterwards. Uh, champagne obviously was the first thing we drank. We just popped a few bottles of champagne, uh, and then later on, within the night, we started drinking more tequila. Uh, but it was a fun night. I can only imagine. In fact, I will only imagine because. That sounds like it's above my... Yeah, you know what? I was 24. My recovery time was a lot easier then than it is now. Isn't it, though? I think I turned 30 and I was like, this is a real thing that people talk about. I was 28 and I was like, I'll live like this forever. So did you ever get nervous before games? And if so, what did you do to to manage the nerves? Yeah, you know, I got nervous a lot my first few years in the NBA. I also got nervous for the Olympics. Um, And I got nervous a few times for the All-Star game. But once I stepped foot on the court, what I did to break my nerves is that I would dunk the basketball. So once I once I dunk the basketball and I take a look in the crowd, and then my nerves, my nervousness is gone. It's like, all right, cool, we're good. <laughs> so that was that was my way of getting rid of the nerves. Were you more or less nervous when you were sitting on the table with Bill Hader and uh during train wreck? I was probably a little more nervous then. Only because I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> Bill Hader's about to perform surgery on me right now. Um, 
You know, but the train wreck film was amazing because one thing I like about it is Judd Apatow, such a great director, to where he, he he wants you to be yourself and improv a bit. So that way it's not as scripted and you can somewhat be yourself and your personality can now show on screen, uh, which made it so much easier for me in that role. Is it something, I mean, I know you've done uh, some TV stuff as well and with like SVU and Entourage, but is that something you want to do more of down the line? Yeah, I think so. I got a, I got a couple calls uh, actually this past year uh, for a few opportunities, uh, but I was a little bit rusty coming back from Israel and I was like, I haven't acted in four years or so, uh, but now I'm starting to get back into it start reading some more scripts and get myself prepared for another opportunity when it comes my way. You have to call your boy Tiki Barber. We had like a whole conversation with him about being on Broadway. Oh, yeah. He's, I got to call him. He's a trip. He did. <laughs> call him. He's got an acting coach on Speed Dial. He he loved it. We had such a great talk with him about uh, about acting and how he's like ready to get back to it. So Yeah, he's here in New York also. Maybe you guys need to be in a Broadway show together. Oh, really? Yeah. I think yeah. that the Tiki Barber podcast was the one that started and finished as far away from one another as any podcast that we started. Because <laughs> we started, of course, wine, sports, and then we ended up just basically having like a theater podcast is what happened. <laughs> it did. And Vanessa and I both have theater backgrounds, so we definitely did not <laughs> plan to like go down that rabbit hole. But he sort of went there and we all of a sudden we were talking about him. I love it. Dancing on stage in, in thigh-high red heels and he was really into it. Yeah, I see your face. I know you're making those wide eyes. He really did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tiki goes for it. He goes all the Tiki way forward. Tiki goes for it. Know. Yeah. Um, so if you do more of this stuff and, you know, you called Tiki's acting coach, um, who do you want to work with? I mean, if I if I had an acting coach, I mean, I, um, I, would, I would definitely look into a Broadway acting coach only because Broadway is, reminds me of like a live audience performance. So I did this show called The Exodus uh, back, you know, a few years back, and it was a live audience. So therefore, when you do when you deliver your line, you have to somewhat pause, let the audience laugh and get get it out, and then step back into your line and start delivering your next line. They say that's the hardest acting gig is being able to perform in front of a live audience. So I would want to probably, you know, learn with like a Broadway acting coach that can help with that, you know? You know, you say that and actually... Um... There's something that must be a little bit similar, though, in that, like, I think so much of acting, as you mentioned, is is the live audience, but it's also kind of like reading the crowd and timing. And that's got to be somewhat similar to playing, right? Where you kind of have to, like, read the whole court, right. even if you're not looking at that person. So, Correct. I don't know. There seems like there there's probably a synergy there. Yeah, it is. That's a really good point. It's definitely a lot of synergy there. It's similar uh, because you have to somewhat, yes, you know, take the momentum feed off the crowd. Um, but then also with acting, you have to now step out of your normal self and then become that character. You know, so for basketball-wise, hey, this is what we do. We trained for this forever. It's natural. But as far as acting, it's like, okay, I'm playing a role of Brad. Yeah. Brad is this kind of guy. He does this on a regular basis. So then now I have to somewhat take myself out of my Amari out of myself and figure out how to become the best Brad I can become. So it's a bit different. No, it, it is. And I, I I think I think you could handle it though. I would I would watch whatever you were in. Yeah, I'm going for it. Listen, I mean I'm not going I'm not going as far as Tiki. <laughs> you have to engulf in becoming that character is the main idea. Vanessa, do you miss the stage at all? I miss the whole kind of like um exploring a character. I, I miss the creative side of it. I think, you know, as you said, Amari, like there is something to be said for diving into someone else's character. And so I, I miss that process a little bit. I get, you know, a piece of that in 
some of the things that we do content wise now that our lives are immersed in the wine world. But it is, I think you can always go back. I think if anything is, has been proven on this podcast is that our worlds are at a, at a place where you can do pretty much anything you want at any time in your life. And speaking of which, you've also started a farm. So I want to talk a little bit about that because I think it's really important what you're doing. I think it's really interesting what you're doing. I'd also love to know more about the cattle because I saw that you're, you've got Black Angus up there. Um, and so we can maybe we can dive into like the steak territory side of things. So let's start and why you did that. Yeah, you know what? I wanted to... Um... I wanted to live naturally off the land. I think I get so much peace by being out in the in, in the wilderness, uh, just out just out in, in nature. Um, and so at first it was basically like a family getaway, a log cabin space in the winter time. Uh, it's beautiful with the snow on the ground. You have the natural fresh water springs flowing through the land, so it's like a beautiful place to get away. Um, and then, but there was so much land, so I said, I want to definitely get involved in farming. And then what I decided to do shortly after that, I say, I want to make this a working farm now. Because at first it was mostly just for the family to go out and have a vacation, relax, enjoy some good food, enjoy nature. Um, but the, I noticed there's such a great opportunity right now for people that wants to buy like farm to table food. Uh, they're starting to become more healthy and want to kind of get away from the preservatives. Um, and so that's when I decided to take side of my farms into commerce and start making product for the consumers. And that's what we had so far, started my farms. So you're selling uh, cuts of beef? Or are you selling produce? What what do you have on there right now? Yeah, so we're selling beef, beef and lamb. That seems to be the, the biggest want right now from a lot of consumers. They want ribeyes, they want the certain cuts of the steaks, uh, they want burgers, and they also they also love lamb chops. And so, so I have rubs, I'm selling rubs that I have there. Uh, but for the most part, the main ingredients is, is the beef. What's your cut of choice and how are you cooking it? <laughs> My cut of choice? This is not a loaded question. I won't judge you. I promise. <laughs> no, I'm a ribeye guy. Yeah. I'm a ribeye guy. I would have judged you if you said something else. For sure, ribeye guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I season it with, I have like olive oil. I have like this special uh, seasoning that I've came up with that I have. And I add a little vegan butter onto the onto the pan. So I, so I sear that uh, for a good four minutes each side. Crank the oven on 450 and then let that cook to the temperature that I like it. And then we have a nice meal. I'm curious, why the vegan butter? Vegan butter is healthier than dairy butter. So I just rather go with the vegan butter instead. Okay. I didn't know if it like imparted a different flavor. I feel I feel like once I'm at the ribeye stage of the game, I'm like, I'm all in. Like the butter, the everything. Is yeah, yeah. No, it, it, for, it for sure adds a certain flavor to it. And then whatever your seasoning is. I mean, you can use you can use your salt and pepper if you like. I know some people use like Italian dressing and just soak their soak their steak in Italian dressing Ooh. and then let that sit for a while and cook it that way. Um, so there's definitely many ways you can cook your ribeyes, but, you know, it's your choice. What's the best steak you've ever had? The best steak I ever had. Uh, the best steak I ever had was probably from this place. Um, I want to say, I want to say this place is in Israel, actually. Uh, it's called, it was called Jacko Street. I don't know it. It's not on my map. Yep. There's a, there's a street right in Jerusalem. It's on Jacko Street. The steaks are, are, are very, uh, tender and they're also a little fatty. So I like the flavors from it. But the way they cook the steak is, is, is definitely, uh, one of my favorites. Are we all still drinking? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm the, I feel like I'm the only one picking up my glass. I am. I I feel bad. I love this lapel, but I can't help but go back to the coat roti because it's just my favorite. It's like um this beautiful sort of like 
incense in the glass in the Cobra tea. This sort of like ethereal perfume, exotic spice note to it that, yeah, it's it's like super sensual and fascinating. I think there's quite a bit of Syrah grown in, in Israel, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. A lot, a lot of yeah. the ones that I, the, like the, the flavors I have is mostly like blends with the Cab Petit, Petit Verdot. Mm-hmm. Um, the most recent one's 100% Cab. But yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of Syrahs in Israel. Yeah. I went to, are you familiar with the, the restaurant Zahav in Philadelphia? Zahav. Their entire wine list is uh, Israeli wines. And mm. I went into that restaurant not too long ago and I went to the list and I was like, uh, just tell me what's good. But it was a lot of Syrahs and cabs. And, um, I love that. Man, the, it works really, really well with the food. So I'm glad that we went this route because I would be interested to try it. I mean, they do this big lamb dish at the end. Um, I was going to say, tap me in on all the great restaurants and the wine places. Please keep me informed. I'm always down for a good time. Amari, I am your girl. I have maps all over the world of all the best places to eat and drink. <laughs> Amanda, I got you. Listen, speed dial. I got you on speed dial. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, if there's one thing I've learned about Amanda through this podcast is that she's your hookup. If you want to know where to eat, where to drink, anywhere, yeah, you need to run speed dial for sure. I know. You're going to hate me in a while because anytime you're out, you're going to be like, but I wanted to go to all five of these places. And then you end up going to all five and you're like, well, crap, I got to work out like extra hard tomorrow now. You're like an app, <laughs> Amanda. It's like there should be an app for like, where where should I, where's the best like place to get food and wine in this city? Except it's not an app. It's just like people just text you. Right. The Amanda app. <laughs> yeah. So um, you, we know that you are friends with um, one of our uh, previous podcast guests, who's a, a great friend of ours, but Kamal Hachandani. So um, tell us about a typical, you know, hang with Kamal. What are you opening? Um, how deep in the cellar are you going? Well, Kamal's always in the space, you know, he's always like where, where it's happening, you know? And so whenever I go to town, he wants to always, you know, link me up with certain people and, shake hands and build connections. Um, and so I met Kamal through actually a close family friend of mine. Uh, they introduced us back when I played with the Knicks, 2013 or so maybe. Um, and we became friends ever since. And so we both relocated to Miami. When I played for the Miami Heat, we somewhat kept a connection there. And then my time overseas, we still kept a link. Um, and so we're, we're, we was good friends, been good friends for a long time now. He is quite the guy. I would love to spend uh, an evening, just one. I don't think I could hang with him for longer than one evening because it looks like you guys go deep. <laughs> right. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is with me. I'm like, all right, come on. I got, you know, my Wednesday open and that's about it, buddy. It's recovery mode after that. Um, are there other regions that you'd like to expand into in terms of your label? Uh, it's possible. I mean, I've just I just recently somewhat expanded now to 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 the U.S. to North America. Now we're in California, um, so that's the first part of the expansion. But yeah, I mean, if there's if there's more opportunity out there and there's more of a, a want uh, for it, then I'll for sure look into it. And the origins, which we do have on Wine Access, very excited about that. Um, so it's from it's from Paso. So how did you decide on 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 Paso Robles versus someplace like Sonoma or or even uh, Napa Valley or or elsewhere? Yeah, well, well, a friend of mine uh, was also friends of the Herzog family, and so I, I met with them about you know expanding the brand and being able to create another another uh, uh, brand of wine. And so they were able to say, you know what, Stat, come on over, come on over with us and we can help you out for sure. We can make it happen. Um, and so they were located there. Um, so that's how that's how that's how the wine 
basically, you know, somewhat transferred to that region. I know not too far from you. New York is doing great things with wine. Um, are you a Riesling lover? Are you being facetious, Amanda? <laughs> like, okay. You know me. Okay. Yes, I do. All right. If you're a Riesling lover, that's kind of the place to be. <laughs> How much of that Cobra tea have you had? <laughs> right. Right. How many glasses of wine did you have, Amanda? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I've had quite a bit of both, actually. Um, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge drinker. Like I... I think, like I mentioned, after 30, things really changed for me as far as how much I can drink. And so I'm really picky and selective and careful about how much I drink because, you know, I'm I'm tiny. I get drunk, you know, pretty quickly. Um, and then it also just affects, you know, every aspect of my life. So I'm... Yeah, I'm the exact same way. I feel like we get better with age, you know. It's like, you know, you become more mature. You start understanding your body more. It's like, it's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a beautiful thing to be able to adapt and adjust as as we grow, you know? Yeah. Well, and speaking of growing, I mean, your career has changed um, a bit. You're more on the coaching side of things than playing. How has that been? Do you enjoy coaching more than playing, or is it just kind of different? It's interesting for me because I was playing last year. I was the MVP last year. I won a championship last year, and I had a contract to play again this year. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm technically still a player, okay. but yet coaching, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm still in great shape, and I play with the guys. Uh, whenever there's like, you know, uh, during practice and so forth. So the game is still there. The health is still there. But I do think coaching-wise, it's been a bit of a learning curve for me, being able to learn from these guys who are on the staff. Um, So my role is basically I learn. uh, I sit in all the coaches' meetings, and I sit in all the executive meetings. Um, So I'm learning from them as well as far as the executives on on what it takes to become a general manager uh, and so forth. So, And right now I'm also like in school. Uh, pursuing my master's, my MBA from the University of Miami. So I'm not sure what the future holds far as, uh, far as you know, that job is concerned, far as like coaching or executive seat. But either way it goes, it's a good scenario for me. You're putting us all to shame. <laughs> wow. Seriously. Like, wow. Was there anything that you learned from being on more the executive side that looking back uh, at yourself as a player, you're like, Oh, right. I'm like, now I get why they did that. Why you guys talked about me when I played. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but I think, no, I think it's, you know, it's very strategic. You know, these guys have a real serious job on their hands and they got to figure out which players are available. Does it fit the chemistry? You know, are we going over the cap? Um, so from executive side, it's a lot, it's a lot to, it's a lot to understand and learn. Um, and coaching wise for me is a bit, a little bit easier because I'm able, you know, I, was, I played for 18 years. And so it's like, I know basketball as a player. So it's not, it's not that hard to kind of pass that knowledge over, but to learn from the executive side takes more of a, of a learning curve. Yeah. I think when I switched from being a sommelier to a wine director, that was like a, I had a few aha moments where I was like, Oh, now it all makes sense. Like, you know, those those, those things that like people did, they're like, why, you know, so everybody, it's easy to look and want the crown and and say, you're going to do things differently. But then, you know, once you're in that seat, you're like, oh, like now I get it. Um, so I'll be curious to see how, how you do down the line. I'm sure, you know, you'll, you'll do wonderfully, but, um, you've got your hands on a lot of different things right now. Do you think you're going to have to whittle it down? Or are you hoping to just keep doing everything? Yeah, no, I mean, it'll definitely, it'll definitely trim down. I mean, I have a great staff working for me. I mean, you know, so I have people that's on my side that's helped me manage uh, a lot of these things, you know. So it's for sure 
uh, not a heavy lift for me right now. But I do think as as time go on, as I just knock out a few goals, it'll for sure clear up in the, in, in in a few years at least. Um, any any thoughts? Final thoughts on the wines, um, Vanessa? What are you going back to? Um, so. Obviously, you know I'm I'm enraptured by this coat roti, um, but but I have to tell you I, I'm I'm also really enjoying the lapel. It's opened up a lot in the glass since we poured it at the beginning of the podcast. So I've actually I'm kind of I've moved on to the lapel. I'm 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 really enjoying it. But um, I'm gonna say I'll probably go back to the coat roti again again later as well. But this is a tough one because obviously I love Maya and I love um, Napa Valley, but then you know sort of my my red wine spiritual home is. <laughs> It's the Northern Rhone, so, yeah. Uh, Amari, no judgment, but are you spitting? I am spitting, yes. Yep, I'm spitting. I res- no, I respect it. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I think you're the first, like, the first uh, guest that we've had that spit. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, yeah. it's kind of early on my side. No, it's good. I, I, uh, I'm I, surprised that we actually haven't had more. We've done podcasts fairly early, and people have been like, game on. Bring it on, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I, I had a big-time Super Bowl party, you know, Sunday night. And so my Buccaneers, you know, end up becoming champions. I've been a fan for a long time. And it's like, yeah. you know, it's a long time coming. So I have for sure had like, you know, between the the group, we had we had our share of wine. So I'm still recovering. Yeah. What did you guys have? <laughs> we were drinking Stoudemire wines. Oh, well, that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, New, yeah. York versus, in, New York so. versus Miami. Uh, seems you got, you got to hold on both. What do you think? That's that's difficult one. Um, cause right now I work for, I work for Brooklyn. So mm-hmm. I think we have a great chance at a title at the championship this year. I have an amazing team, great staffing from a coaching wise, beautiful organization from an executive standpoint. And so I do think we have a chance at the title. Miami's right there. You know, they have a close, they have a close, uh, they're close to my heart, but I do think that Brooklyn is going to be a better team this mm. year. And then just as far as living, do you have a preference between, uh, New York and Miami? Living-wise is also a difficult one. Um, <laughs> but New York, to me, I think is like the place for me. Mm. Because New York moves differently. You know, it's just so much happening here. I mean, there's art, there's fashion, there's mm-hmm. there's finance, there's entertainment, there's, you know, um, young executives, there's, you know, startup, you know, companies and, and, and young tech gurus here. Um, and Miami's similar, but it's more like, all right, let's go to the beach and relax and we can we can work tomorrow. New York's like, hey, we on the grind. Let's talk innovative talk. Let's figure this out. Like, so I'm all for that New York grind for sure. It's interesting because I, I was kind of like you, but I spent some time in South Florida uh, over the summer and then earlier at the beginning of the year. And there's so many people moving from New York and San Francisco in like the tech space and like in, in many different sectors that we never saw in Miami, South Florida area before. And I'm, uh, it's, yeah. we talked a little bit with Kamal about this separately, but I'll be really curious to see what happens long-term to see if Miami sort of starts to take some of that real estate away from New York. I think New York will always be sort of the epicenter of culture uh, in some ways in the U.S., but I don't know. I, I think Miami's got a shot. Miami's incredible right now. And I think a lot of reason why a lot of people are moving there also because it's open. It's definitely open. <laughs> so I think that's why Miami's uh, blossoming right now. Well, time will tell. Uh, hopefully by the time these wines come of age, we'll know the answer. Um, 
Any final thoughts on the wines, Mari? Did you, I, I knew you were spitting, but is there one glass that's lower than the other? That's generally the the big tell. Yeah, you know what? You, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. I think the lower glass uh, is the lapel. Mayan will be excited. Oh. <laughs> All right. That's my lower glass. You yes. Know? Something about the cab. <laughs> I think the cab, the cab does something to me. I think it's like a nice, it's just a nice drink. And there's so many flavors. Uh, which which I which I enjoy. Good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. That's uh that's a win for the home team right there. We love Mayan, we love Pete, we love Miguel, and obviously we love Napa Valley. Um anything else, uh anything else we should we should talk about while we've got you? Anything else people should know uh where to find you and Yeah, sure. I mean you can find me on Instagram, social media at Amari Israel, and that's is real uh like as a real person. <laughs> um <Wait>. and then <laughs> And then also, too, for Stoudemire Wines, you can always, you know, go to uh, StoudemireWines.com for more when, when it comes to purchasing these Stoudemire Wines. Well, we are so thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for spending a little time this afternoon with us. Thank you for all that you're doing. And um, I hope to share a bottle in real life with you soon. Awesome. Same. Thanks for having me. Well, we promised a conversation that was going to dive into a lot of different facets because the guy has a lot going on, and I think that we delivered. You know, I, I mean, I feel like we covered we covered sports. We covered um, his film career, his aspirations for acting, um, his NBA, his behind-the-scenes learning, um, now mm-hmm. um, being on kind of the other side from, from being a player. So... Yeah. yeah, he does it all. It's it's very impressive. Um, and I love that we got to talk about Tiki and him wearing thigh high red boots. Any any opportunity we get to throw that <laughs> into the conversation is a good one. Um, I think that was the one part I think that threw him off just a little bit. I could see him like picturing Tiki and like the the. I, I saw the him reach for his phone. I was like, is he texting Tiki to be like, "There's two girls that are saying that you wore thigh high red boots on stage. Is this true? I feel like I need to call them out." Um, no, he was great, and he was a great sport, and. And we loved, loved, loved drinking with him, or at least I did. I, I think you did. Too. I did too. And I have to say, both of my glasses are sort of equally depleted at this point. Um, I started. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, I, I, I kind of let's talk last drops. What did you think? Well, I mean, I, I started with the Syrah with the Chateau d'Ampuy from Gigal, which I knew I loved, so there was no surprise there. But just sort of, mm-hmm. you know, renewed my my just absolute adoration for for Coroti. Uh, for Gigal, for Syrah in general. Um, so I was kind of fixated with that for a while. But then, you know, I think we talked about the the lapel uh, 2018 Cabernet Sauvignon kind of really opened up on the glass as we were talking. And so I found myself gravitating towards that. And and I'd say the last half of our conversation, I was, I was, um, I was definitely going back to the lapel. How about you? Yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. I think, you know, especially Northern Rhone Syrah, it is just so alluring on the nose and on the palate. And there's just so much going on. Um, So it's, you know, it's easy to sort of get sucked into that in some ways. But, you know, I think it really speaks to the lapel that I sat it down and continued drinking the lapel um, because it is such a standout wine. And this has been a project that I've been able to see basically from the ground up. It's not, you know, it's not old or anything. It's, it's a, new project. I think this is only their second or third vintage. Um, yeah, I think 20, it was only, it was either 14 was the, uh, yeah, it was either 14 or 15. Um, yeah, I've been so impressed with, with these wines and I love the story behind them and I love that we got to share them with him today. So, uh, thanks for making this happen. I loved 
in this Slack channel, when you told me what the wines were, I was like, oh, heck yeah. Like, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now I got to figure out meeting for dinner tonight, hopefully steak. But yeah, I thought they were both really, really delicious. Um, and wines that are super ageable. I'm glad that I Coravin these because I, you know, I in some ways just want to see where this lands and, you know, a couple, I mean, a couple months is not aging, but I do want to see what happens in a couple months, couple years. Maybe I'll buy another bottle or two. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, that was, that was a great time. Thank you for, uh, thank you for selecting these delicious wines. Speaking of which, if people want to find these wines and the Stoudemire wines, uh, where can they find them? Yes, good point. All three of these wines actually uh, are available at wineaccess.com. And then, of course, if you want to keep up with us on social, uh, on Instagram, we're at Wine Access or on Facebook, the Wine Access Experience. Yeah. And I one thing I do want to mention, because the, the Chateau d'Ampuis uh, is a wine that sometimes is available on the Wine Access storefront, but also there's this like sort of secret stash that Lara Coffer, mm-hmm. who we've mentioned before, <laughs> um, she's, you know, I think one of the great, great tricks or hacks into the wine world is get to know your sommelier and your sommelier will get to know you. And in turn, you know, sometimes things that are not widely available um, sort of magically appear. And so Laura sort of makes those things happen. So things like Chateau d'Ampuy, um, you know, the Lala's from Gigal that are, you know, few and far between, they are available. So if that's of interest, um, I highly recommend shooting her an email. If you want to find an easy way to get in touch with her, just shoot us a little DM on Instagram at Wine Access Unfiltered. It's an easy way to do it. Or at Wine Access on Instagram as well. So um, a great time. Thank you for joining us. If you loved what you heard today and you want to hear more of it and you want to support us, we would love for you to leave a review, preferably the five-star kind, and uh, tell us how much you're enjoying our, our voices and our wines and our conversation. We would, we would be so, so grateful. So, Vanessa, I'm going to leave you with your wines and your cats. Are you going to be okay? I'm going to be good. I got this covered. Okay. Yep. All right. You do your thing. I'm going to do mine, and I'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>